When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. And the fine folks at MyBookie have been generous enough to offer us an exclusive promo deal that won't last forever, but it's running right now. All new users, if you haven't signed up for an account at MyBookie before, do it right now and use the promo code UGA when you sign up for that new account and you will get a 50% deposit bonus on that first deposit. Week one will be here before you know it. Heck, week zero will be here before you know it. Just a couple short weeks away, and you want to be ready to jump in on all the action when the time comes. So make sure to bet anything, anytime, anywhere at my bookie. All right, guys. Well, I'm your host, Tyler, and I am back with another great episode for you guys today. Curtis is still enjoying the fun and sun in Putacan on his honeymoon, wishing him the absolute best. But here I am holding down the fort in the meantime, and I've got a topic that I'm really excited about today. I've been waiting to do this episode for like really a couple of months. I had this idea initially probably back in like April, but I felt it was a little too soon, a little too aggressive. So let's wait till we get closer to the season, and here we are. It's August 10th. I think we're close enough to this season to talk about the 10 reasons why I believe the Georgia Bulldogs are going to three-peat in 2023. I honestly don't know if there's a better way to end the week than diving into why our dogs are going to go back to back to back. But before we get there, real quick, just a a very quick reminder, we have started our new YouTube channel. Thank you so much to everyone who has already liked, subscribed, watched the videos. The reception has been way beyond what I was expecting, so I sincerely appreciate that. But there's still plenty of time for all of you who have not had a chance. I know life gets busy, but if you get a chance, please check out the Glory UGA YouTube channel. You can just go to YouTube, type in Glory UGA, go to Google, type in Glory UGA YouTube. It'll come up real quick for you guys. We've got a couple of videos up already. Most recently, earlier this week, I posted a video on the KJ Bolden commitment and what went down there, and I'm working on the next video right now. I've got a bunch of fall camp stuff that I'll be rolling out here over the next couple of weeks. And again, what is going on that YouTube channel is entirely separate from what we do here on the podcast. Obviously, we're still talking Georgia football, SEC football, clearly, but there are some different topics that maybe we don't have time to really touch on here on the show, and it doesn't really fit on the show that we can throw on the YouTube channel. More visual stuff, more videos, all that good stuff that we just can't really do here. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you enjoy this podcast, I know that you're going to enjoy the content on the YouTube channel. So if you get a chance, we would greatly appreciate it. Like, subscribe, watch the videos, and uh, yeah, appreciate it. But enough of that. We've got a lot to talk about. 10 reasons, guys. i got 10 things to talk about today, so I don't want to waste any more time. Let's dive right into it. And so I tried to put these in order. So it's a ranking, a very loose tentative ranking, 
but a ranking nonetheless of the top 10 reasons why the dogs are going to go back to back to back in 2023. Now, we have not done our official season predictions yet. That will come the week of the first game. I'll be on there. Charlie will be on there. The hope is to have all of us on there. The whole group together, the trio, Curtis, Charlie, Tyler, have us all on there. If Charlie's still alive, we don't know. But we do that every year, and that's that's the plan. We're still going to do that. So since I haven't officially released my season predictions, I'm not officially saying that I believe that we are going to win the national championship this year. This is a ranking of like, if we go back to back to back and we pull off the three-peat, what will be the top 10 reasons why we're going to be able to do that? But let's start with number 10. Again, very tentative. You could have this much higher on the list, but coming in at number 10 on my list, I've got the lack of an obvious Georgia killer. Now, what do I mean by quote-unquote Georgia killer? What I mean by that is there's not an obvious team. When you look at the entire landscape of college football, I don't see an obvious team that is built the way that a team has to be built to push us to the brink or even beat us like Alabama did back in the SEC championship game in 2021. You guys know the formula. It's very clear at this point. You have to have an absolutely elite signal caller. You have to have elite talent at quarterback, like first round talent at quarterback. You have to have elite skill talent, particularly at the wide receiver position. And you don't necessarily have to be dominant on defense, but you have to be very good. You have to be good enough to be able to hold our offense in check. That is what it takes. And I ask you right now, who out there right now on August 10th, three weeks before the season starts, is an obvious Georgia killer. It's a team that obviously fits that description, fits it to a T. Is there a team out there that fits that? I don't know who it is. I think there's some teams that are closer than others, but I don't think that we can sit here and point at any team right now and say beyond a shadow of a doubt, they have the formula to beat Georgia. I mean, let's run through a couple of them real quick. So elite quarterback play, right? Well, who's the the best quarterback in the country, at least based on all preseason projections? Caleb Williams, right? At USC. He's awesome. Does USC also have elite skill talent? Yeah, they do. I don't know if their skill talent's going to be quite as good as it was last year, but it's certainly similar. It's comparable. They're going to score a lot of points, and they would probably score some points on us as well, at least if their offensive line could hold up. I think there's some questions there. But defensively, this is a team that was 94th nationally in scoring defense, 107th nationally in points per play, 106th nationally in total defense, 124th nationally in yards per play, 109th nationally in third down conversions, 117th nationally in yards per carry allowed, 112th nationally in passing defense. You get the idea. They were absolutely dreadful last year on the defensive side of the ball. And will they be better this year? Yeah, probably. They did bring in some transfers. Bring in a guy like Mason Cobb from Oklahoma State. Bring in Bear Alexander, who, yeah, I mean, he's an upgrade over what they had, but this is also a guy that wasn't really in line to start for us in our defensive line. You basically have to be elite on offense, right, with the quarterback, with the skill talent, but you have to be at least, like, top 30 defensively. And that's just not going to happen for USC. I do think they'll be better on defense, but they're going to go from, like, in the 100s to maybe, like, the 60s to 70s range. Like, that would be massive improvement for them. They're not going to go from in the 100s to top 30 in one year with a defensive coordinator and Alex Grinch, who's never really come close to doing that with a defense while he's worked with, with Lincoln Riley. So they have the offense. I don't think they have the defense. They don't have the full formula. You look at Ohio State, obviously a team that pushed us to the very brink last year. 
They were top 25 defense last year. I think they'll probably be around that again this year. They lose some players that were key parts of that defense last year, but you have a lot of returning players. You got Tommy Eichenberg, you got Jack Sawyer, you got Steel Chambers coming back, Lathan Ransom in the secondary, who's still trying to pull up his pants for when Arian Smith just completely embarrassed him in the Peach Bowl. But they have a lot of returning talent. They have some good players. They'll still probably be around that range defensively. But oddly enough, with Ohio State, you usually don't think of offense being the issue for them. I do have questions about the offense. I don't have questions about are they going to be good or not. They're going to be good, but are they going to be elite? We know they have the receivers. Like We know they have Ibuka. We know that they have Marvin Harrison Jr., but there's no C.J. Stroud. Quarterback is a major question right now. Now, it does seem in his history, Ryan Day has been kind of plugging and playing guys, but there's no evidence whatsoever to suggest that Kyle McCord or Devin Brown are going to be anywhere close to as productive as what C.J. Stroud was was for them last year. Maybe they will be, maybe, but in no way is that a certainty. That's still a major question mark. So until I see that, until I see elite quarterback play from them this year, I can't sit here and say they're, yeah, automatically going to be a Georgia killer. I don't know if they've got what it takes. I think they have a lot of the pieces, a lot of parts of the formula, but do you have the most important piece? Do you have that elite quarterback? I don't know that they do. Alabama is in a very similar boat. They have a ton of talent on that team. I mean, according to the 247 blue chip rankings, they are the most talented team in the country by a pretty decent margin, at least when it comes to recruiting rankings. Now, if that's the case, I do have some serious questions about their development of that talent because it hasn't been on par the past couple years. Obviously, they've still been great. It's still Alabama, but we also know it hasn't been the same Alabama over the past year or two. And that was with Bryce Young at quarterback, guys, a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. In my opinion, the best quarterback in the country. And not only do they not have that guy at quarterback this year, they have absolutely no answers right now. What they had during spring practice was a borderline disaster on their hands at the quarterback position. That's why they went out and got Tyler Buckner, who hasn't really been good himself at Notre Dame. Jalen Milrow, awesome athlete. Dude has not shown it. I know it's been limited opportunities, but he had a couple games last year, played a half against Arkansas, played a full game against AM, a game in which he almost cost them because he struggled to complete the forward pass. Didn't seem like he made that much progress this spring. Obviously, we didn't get to watch all that. But if you watch the spring game, you kind of saw it, and that's what you were hearing coming out of camp. Ty Simpson, I think he's probably going to be the guy that wins the job. But what have we seen from him? What have you heard about him from anyone who knows what's going on behind the scenes that he is going to be a guy that can come anywhere close to giving them what Bryce Young gave them? Guys, let's not forget, you watched Alabama last year. How many times do you watch Bryce Young save that football team? Without Bryce Young last year, that's probably a four-loss team. I mean, seriously, guys, they would have absolutely lost to Ole Miss. They probably should have lost to Ole Miss, but hey, give them credit. They found a way to kind of grind that one out and win that football game. But without Bryce Young, no way. They do not win that football game. Without Bryce Young, they probably do not win that Texas game. That was an ugly, ugly game anyway. Bryce Young wasn't great, but when it counted the most at the end of the game, when they needed him to make plays, they needed him to step up, the dude stepped up. If Jalen Milrose the quarterback then, they don't win that game. They don't win that game. And that is exactly what they're facing this year. They've got a ton of talent. They've got dudes everywhere on defense. Now, I do think the defensive line isn't exactly what you think of as like a vintage Alabama defensive line. It hasn't been for a couple years. I think that's one of the reasons they've kind of taken, uh, saying a step back is, is sounds strong, but it kind of a step back. I also don't think that they are nearly as good at receiver as they were kind of at their, in their heyday, you know, going back, you know, three, four, five years ago. They don't have those kind of guys at receiver. They don't have a Henry Ruggs. They don't have a Jerry Judy. They don't have a Devontae Smith. They don't have a Jalen Waddle. They don't have those guys. They didn't have them last year. I try to tell everyone coming the season they didn't have those guys, and that's why I didn't believe in Alabama last year. No one wanted to listen to me. Everyone told me oh, I was just being, I was being a homer, sour 
Graves, it's because Jermaine Burton left Georgia. He's going to be their guy. And I told you, if you're counting on him, you are freaking crazy. And what happened? Yeah, not so great. And once again, they're going to a year where Jermaine Burton is going to supposed to be one of, if not their best receiver. I mean, it's the same guys. I mean, really, largely it's the same guys who receiver for them last year who were fine, but not great. I mean, it's Jermaine Burton, Ja'Cory Brooks, Isaiah Bonds, back as a sophomore. So maybe he takes a step forward this year. You bring in Malik Benson uh, from the Juco ranks, a highly touted guy from the Juco ranks. We'll see what he can do. They're hopeful, but they don't have those obvious answers at, at receiver, and they don't have, they definitely don't have the quarterback right now. So Alabama does not fit the Georgia kill description in my book. And wait, I can hear the Tennessee fans now. What about Tennessee? Tennessee has elite quarterback play, even though do they really? I don't know. We'll find out. Tennessee has elite receivers, although do they really? I don't know. We'll find out. But let's say even if they do, even if Joe Milton's really good, even if the receivers are really good, are they going to be better than guys that they were playing behind last year? Because I don't think that's reasonable to suggest. If Joe Milton was better than Hendon Hooker, wouldn't he have been playing the last two years? Wouldn't he have not lost his job to Hendon Hooker back in 2021? If the receivers that are going to be out there for them this year, like Squirrel White, if they were better than guys like Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt, wouldn't they have been starting last year? And let's not forget that offense last year put up a total of 289 yards against Georgia. Well, let's compare that to everyone else they play. Let's just go down the list here. Ball State, week one, 569, Pitt, 416, Akron, 676, 576, 502, 567, 696, 422, 724, 507, 513, 375 against Clemson. Well, that 289 just stands out like a sore thumb. Well, you know what? It wasn't just last year either. It wasn't just a coincidence that happened. Let's go back to 2021. And that season, only three teams held Tennessee under 400 total yards of offense. That's Pittsburgh, that's Alabama, and that was Georgia. Only one of those was actually at Neyland Stadium, so you got to factor that in as well. What I'm saying is, we are built to stop Tennessee's offense. Because if you watched our video that we put on YouTube a couple weeks ago, our second video, I went in-depth into why Georgia is kryptonite for the Tennessee offense. It's because we can stop throwing with even numbers in the box. We are just so dominant on the defensive line, at linebacker, our front six. They cannot run the football on us. And despite popular belief, their offense is actually more run-heavy than it's pass-heavy. They run the ball more than they throw it. That offense is predicated on running the football, getting defenses to commit extra bodies to the box, and then creating favorable one-on-one matches on the outside that they're going to exploit and take advantage of and hit for 70-yard touchdowns. That's what they try to do. They can't do that against Georgia because we don't have to roll guys into the box. We just stop the run without those guys, which allows us to consistently play with a two-high safety shell, safety help over the top, helping each of our cornerbacks out there, and we limit their explosive plays. Tennessee had 55 explosive plays last year, only one against Georgia, and that was on their last drive of the game when the game was way out of hand. So no, I don't see Tennessee as a legitimate challenger. I don't see them as a quote-unquote Georgia killer. I know that game will be difficult in Neyland Stadium given the circumstances. I know that's going to be a challenge, but I don't see them as a team that's just going to go out there and contend for a national championship this year. I don't see it. I don't think they have the dudes yet. They've got to find a way to run the football with any sort of success against us before they can even think about that. And then the other team you look at is Michigan. This is a really interesting case. I do firmly believe coming into this season that Michigan is the second best team in the country. I think Michigan is really freaking good. I think they're awesome. J.J. McCarthy, a quarterback, going to his second full year as a starter. You got two studs at running back, one of the two best offensive lines in the country. There's a really strong defense, talent all over the place, really well-coached team. And actually, some good playmakers at wide receiver. I think some underrated playmakers at wide receiver. One of the best tight ends in the country. That is an awesome football team. But if I've said it once... I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it again. 
you will not out Georgia, Georgia. And that is what Michigan is going to try to do. They tried to do it back in 2021. We all saw what happened there. Why do they have to try to do that? Because that's how that team's built. They're built just like we are. That's why they have the beat Georgia period, right? Where they're just trying to get more physical out there and, and just trying to ram the ball down somebody's throat and just try to bloody somebody up. They know that's what they have to do to beat Georgia. Problem for Michigan is they are awesome. They're really good. They just don't have the caliber of player that we have. Not consistently up and down that roster. Remember how good Aiden Hutchinson was and how much pub he got all year in 2021? What happened when he played Georgia? That dude just was a non-factor, taken out of the game because he hadn't faced anything like that. Michigan doesn't face teams like that. They are the bully in the Big Ten. They're the one that out-physicals everybody in the Big Ten, but they can't do it as well as we do. So they're not going to beat us doing what they do. They'll have to do something out of character, and maybe they're going to be able to do that this year, maybe with a with a more veteran quarterback, and now I do think they have some good receivers. Maybe, maybe, but if they're going to try to out Georgia Georgia, which is essentially how they are built, they're not, they're not going to do it. That's just not going to happen. That ain't the formula. So who else is there? Florida State? I mean, Florida State, I, I respect them. I think they're going to be a good football team this year. I really, really do think that Jordan Travis is an awesome quarterback. I think he's really good. I think Trey Benson is one of the best running backs in the country. Maybe the best. Maybe the best running back in the country. They run counter. I mean, they run it over and over and over again. And he is elite at running that play. But I don't know if they're there defensively. I know they like to think that they are. I mean, Jared Verse is a good player, but there's also a reason he came back this year. But they were good on defense last year. I mean, they were top 15 nationally in defense last year. So the defense is, is within that range. I just don't know if they have the dudes. I, I think they have two good receivers, but I don't know if their offensive line is ready for a Georgia defensive front. I don't think they're ready for that. And I just don't think they had the, I know their defense statistically was good last year, but it's also the ACC. I mean, I, mean, I hate to say it, but let, let's put it out there. And this is also a team that lost to Wake Forest, guys. This is a team that lost to Wake Forest at home last year. I know that was last year, but teams that lose to Wake Forest, and that wasn't even a good Wake Forest team. I know they've had some solid years in the past couple of years. They were a, a 500 team last year. And teams that lose to Wake Forest generally don't beat Georgia. So although I do respect Florida State, I think they're going to be really good this year. I just don't think that they're ready to beat Georgia. So who is it, guys? I mean, who else out there? Clemson? No, they don't have the skill talent. I'm not completely sold on Club Nick at quarterback. Yeah, I think it'll be good long-term. I don't. I didn't love what I saw from him last year. I know he's a freshman. Defensively, they're losing some impact players. I know they got some good guys coming back at linebacker, Barrett Carter, but I just don't see them on our level right now. I don't think they have that formula. So one team I do think that merits watching, all jokes about them being quote-unquote back aside... I think Texas is pretty loaded, especially on offense. Defensively, I think they're in the ballpark. They were top 30-ish last year. They were 28th in scoring defense, 12th in points per play, 54th in total defense. I do think that's a little misguiding. I look far more at yards per play. They were top 20. They were 18th nationally in yards per play. I think they have one of the best receiving cores in the country with A.D. Mitchell. We all know how good he is if he's healthy. Then you match him with Xavier Worthy who now doesn't have to be the guy for Texas, can just kind of be a compliment to A.D. Mitchell. You also have more complimentary pieces like Jordan Whittington, Isaiah Nayer, who was a big-time transfer prior to last year, got hurt in the preseason and missed the entire year. They are loaded at wide receiver. Yes, you lose B. John Robinson, a top-10 running back, but as good as he was, and he was awesome, probably the best running back in the league last year, in the country last year, perhaps. But I do think that running back is the most replaceable of those skill positions. 
They were really young on the offensive line last year. They took their bumps last year with a couple of two true freshmen that played significant snaps to them. Those guys are grown up, and they have been recruiting really well on, along the offensive line. They're good. They have a lot of talent. My only question with Texas, I think they have the defense that's good enough-ish, to that part of the formula. I think they have all the skill talent they need. The question is quarterback, and that's kind of weird when you think about Quinn Ewers, who was like the highest-rated quarterback in the history of quarterbacks coming out of high school. But if you watched him play last year, I hope you guys got a chance to actually sit down and watch him play. He was not good. Like He was not good at football last year. He was a liability for them. Sure, that was his first year as a starter at the college level, so you got to be fair there. But still, if I'm trying to project forward, I saw nothing from him last year to tell me that he is the type of quarterback that can go out there and light up a Georgia defense the way that C.J. Stroud did and Bryce Young did back in the 2021 SEC Championship game. Maybe he grows into that guy. Maybe. But all the people that are just convinced he will do that, they're basing that on nothing other than his prep rankings. Because you can't watch him from last year and say, oh yeah, that guy is an elite quarterback because he was not that. I don't know. Texas is a really interesting team. I think they could be a team that, that could that could do some things this year and could certainly make a, a push for the college playoff. But I just don't know if they have all the pieces of that formula. If Quinn Ewers takes that step and he does become the, that guy this year, Texas could be a team that could give us some trouble. I think they have a lot of talent and it just really comes down to the quarterback position. But I also can't sit here right now and say, yes, Texas is ready to be a Georgia killer. So who is it? Who is it out there, guys? I don't think that team exists. I don't think there's an obvious challenger. I'm not saying that we can't lose. Any of those teams I mentioned are capable of beating us if we just really, really, really play poorly. But who is that team that if both teams play their A game is good enough to beat Georgia? I do not think that team exists. So that's a pretty good starting point, but let's go on to number nine. I won't spend as much time on all those, but that's one I kind of wanted to dig into, even though it was at the bottom of the list. Coming in number nine, I have Georgia's championship pedigree. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that this is a team that has been there, done that. Now, I know we have some new players on the team, but all these guys now have won at least one national championship outside of, obviously, the 2023 class, the, the incoming true freshman. Everybody else has been there. They've done that. Not only have they won national title, we've been in some really tough situations, some touch-and-go situations. Missouri on the road, a game that we had no business losing, but we were about to lose that game. We dug deep. We stuck in there. We found a way to overcome that adversity and find a way to win. Ugly or not, we found a way to win that football game. Then you go to Atlanta, the Peach Bowl. I mean, guys, like we were, we were on life support there late. I mean, I, I didn't know, man. Like it was, it was really touch and go. We were down most of that game, but we had to come back when we needed the most. And what did we do? We delivered. Those guys were there. Now I know Stetson Bennett's gone, and that is something that we'll talk about in another episode when we kind of go over some of the biggest questions that Georgia has in a week or so. But the vast majority of this team. They've been there. They've done that. They've been in those situations. They've, they've conquered those obstacles. They've overcome that adversity. Most teams have not experienced that. So if we get into a, a really important game, let's say it's the SEC championship game, maybe it's on the road against Tennessee, uh, whether it's you know maybe the semifinal game, national championship game, wherever, we've been in those situations. Most other teams can't say the same thing. We're not going to freeze because we've got that pedigree. We've gone through the fire. Those other teams have to go through the fire, and you don't know how they will respond. You know how the Georgia Bulldogs will respond because you've seen it before multiple times. All right, let's go on to number eight. All right, number eight on my list of the top 10 reasons why Georgia will three-peat this season. I've just got our culture, and I know our culture's taken a hit this offseason. It's been a very, very 
popular punching bag, a lot of cheap shots taken at the culture within the Georgia program. And I do take exception with that because people don't know what they're talking about. Just because a couple of guys have gotten caught speeding and driving recklessly, which is not okay. Don't get me wrong, not okay. That is not indicative of some larger institutional culture problem within our program. It's just not. The culture within our program is built on toughness, resiliency, composure, sacrifice, connectedness. And I've said this before on the podcast. I'll I'll say it again here. I truly do believe the difference the past two years for us and why we've won national championships. There's other really talented teams out there. Alabama, according to the blue chip rankings, the blue chip ratio was the most talented team last year, but they weren't nearly as good as we were. Why? Well, I mean, yes, we did have some really good players in key positions, but we just have a better culture right now. I, I truly believe that. I'm not saying Alabama has a bad culture or any other top team has a bad culture. I'm just saying ours is different. And I think that matters, especially when when the talent gap is negligible at best. And you're talking about two teams that are very evenly talented. Culture absolutely can be a decisive factor in who wins that game. And when I'm talking culture, guys, I'm talking day in and day out, day by day, the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you approach not just the game, you approach your craft, you approach it like a professional, the standard that you hold yourself to on the field of play, but also on the practice field, in the meeting rooms, in the classrooms, in the community. When you build those habits in every aspect of your life, it can't help but translate out there on the field. You can't just flip that switch on when you're out there on the field. It doesn't work that way. And that's why some teams are so inconsistent while we have been so consistent over the past two years because that's just who we are. That's who our guys are. That is what is demanded of them. That is what is expected of them. And if you don't buy into that, you won't be here. And that translates into effort on the field. That translates into focus on the field. That translates into selflessness, doing what you're asked to do, all those things. Whereas some teams, yeah, they can get up really high for one game and they can, they can they decide, okay, this game, you know, it's a big game. So we're going to go all out. We're going to give a lot of effort and we're just going to be physical, all that. Well, yeah, you can do that one game, but you don't do that consistently because that's not who you are. That's who you want to be for one game. And that's fine for one game. In a one game setting, that one off, sure, You can come out with that superhuman effort, but you can't do that consistently because that's not who you are in every other aspect of your life, in the way you go about your business each and every day. But for us, that is who we are in every part of their lives. That is how we go about our business each and every day because that's the expectation. Those are the demands. And when we get out there in the field, it's just another day. That's what we do. And that to me has been the difference. There are other really talented teams. Ohio State was very close to us in talent last year. Alabama, arguably one through 85 had more talent than us in 2021, but who won the national title? We did. Why? I think culture. I think it's what it comes down to when, when you have those very evenly talented teams, those heavyweight matchups, I think culture can be the decisive factor. And we are just getting started here today, guys, with my list of the top 10 reasons why Georgia is going to three-peat this year. But before we continue on, I just real quickly want to remind you guys once again about our great friends at MyBookie. We all love college football, guys. We all love our football Saturdays. But you know the one thing that can make it even more exciting? Having a little action on some of these games that you might not otherwise even care about outside of the world of the Georgia Bulldogs and the SEC footprint. And you guys know your football. You know what's going on out there on Saturdays. So put that knowledge to use by signing up for a new account at mybookie.ag. When you do that, just use the promo code UGA and you'll get a 50% bonus 
to whatever your first deposit is. That's tough to beat, guys. They're giving you free money to bet with to open the season, so jump on this offer while you can. It won't last all season. It's running right now. It'll run through the early part of the season, but you want to go ahead and jump on it while you can and bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, let's keep this top 10 train rolling. And up next at number seven, this kind of goes somewhat hand in hand with culture. That's why they're back to back culture at number eight. And I got leadership at number seven. Your culture is obviously important. And Kirby Smart has done an amazing job of establishing that culture since he got here back in 2016. But to maintain that culture and maintain those expectations, it's one thing for the coaches to demand that, but that's not the most effective way to go about doing so. The most effective way to go about doing so is having a player-led team. And for that to be the case, you've got to have those leaders step up. And Kirby Smart and Company do an amazing job of cultivating leadership within the program. They have a leadership council, and they do a really great job of identifying guys and trying to help them develop leadership skills. And it's paid dividends. And we have some fantastic leaders on this team. Sure, yeah, we did lose some big-time leaders from last Last year's team, but so did we in 2021. That's the same. It's going to be the case every single year with the nature of college football and the turnover, the attrition you have on a yearly basis. But we are very fortunate to have some really, really strong leaders on this team. Cedric Van Pran obviously comes to mind along the offensive line, now going into his third year as a starter. Just, just a guy that handles his business like a professional, a guy that's there for his team, a guy that, that the team looks up to, and a guy that commands their respect. So you love, especially when you have a, a new quarterback, whoever it ends up being, we, we think it's going to be Carson Beck, but whoever it ends up being, to have a guy like that, not just a veteran center, but a, a leader of that caliber at the center position, that's valuable. You know, the defensive side of the ball, you have guys like Javon Bullard, you have a guy like Kamari Lasseter. Pop Dumas Johnson has been taking some really big steps in that regard as a vocal leader. Even a guy like Brock Bowers, who we know is not the most loquacious of players on the team. This guy doesn't say much of anything, but you don't have to always be the vocal leader to still be a leader on the team because this guy epitomizes our culture. He epitomizes what it be, what it means to be a Georgia Bulldog. This is the Nick Chubb caliber guy in terms of how he goes about his business, his work ethic, his work habits, the way in which he holds himself, the humility that characterizes really everything that this guy does. It cannot help but rub off on everyone else on the team, even if the guy doesn't say a word. I don't know how many of you caught Todd Hartley's interview earlier in the week. I, I wrote an article about it on Dogs Daily, but this guy could not have spoken more effusively about Brock Bowers. I think he called him special about 38 different times in the span of like a minute and a half. But he waxed poetic on Brock, and so did Mike Bobo. Maybe not to the degree that Hartley did, but he did today in his press conference. Everyone you hear talk about Brock Bowers says the same things. And Hartley talks specifically about the best thing that happened to guys like Oscar Delp and Lawson Lucky is to come to Georgia while Brock Bowers is still here. So they can see how this guy approaches his business and how he tries to improve his craft day in and day out, his work habits, his ethic, all of those things. And I believe that. That matters. It rubs off on guys. So I think the leadership component of this team is invaluable because yes, culture is important. It can be a decisive factor. But I have culture behind leadership because I don't think you can maintain that culture without player leaders. And I think we have a fantastic group of those guys on this 2023 football team. All right, let's move along to number six. Now, much has been made all offseason long about the Georgia schedule. The cupcake of all cupcakes, right? Well, as I've talked about a couple of times on the show throughout the offseason, 
I will readily admit that it is certainly not a murderer's row of a schedule, and by SEC standards, it's a very favorable SEC schedule, certainly. No Alabama, no LSU, no Texas A&M. You don't get any of the three most talented teams in the West. I'm not saying the best teams, but the most talented teams in the West. There is that road trip to Knoxville late in the season, but it is a very manageable schedule. I will push back some, as I have throughout the offseason, and say it's not an easy schedule. It's just, you know, it's easier than your typical SEC schedule. And also there's the fact that we're Georgia, and we can't play ourselves. And when you're the two-time defending national champion, everyone you play just seems so far away from you from a talent perspective that it just gives off the perception that the schedule's easy. easy. Like if Baylor had our schedule, some random team across the country, if they had our schedule... No one would be looking at that saying, oh my God, that's an easy schedule. But when it's Georgia, everyone looks like they can't really compete with us right now with where our program is. So it just has this perception of being easy. I do think that there are some potential pitfalls. I think Ole Miss is a, going to actually be a really good football team. I, I really think Ole Miss is going to be a tough team this year. Just, you know, you play in the same division with Alabama and LSU and an A&M team that's also really talented. Oh, they do get A&M at home this year. They beat them on the road last year. I think Ole Miss is going to be a good football team. I think they're dangerous offensively. Their defense took strides last year. You bring in Pete Golding. It's certainly reasonable to think that they could take even more strides on defense this year. And I, I hate where that game falls. I hate that it's right before Tennessee going on the road to Knoxville. That could certainly be a look-ahead spot, but that's where culture and leadership comes in. I do like the fact that we get them at home, but that could certainly be a tricky spot. I think Auburn could also be a tricky spot, you know, for some reasons we talked about earlier in the offseason. We did the Auburn Scout and the Enemy episode. We are much more talented than Auburn. We are much better than Auburn. Auburn really shouldn't give us any trouble. If it was on a neutral field, we should probably beat Auburn by three, four touchdowns. But it's not on a neutral field. It's going to be in Jordan-Hare Stadium, which is a very tough stadium, especially when the number one team, the two-time defending national champion, comes to, to town, who happens to be one of your top two rivals. It's going to be rocking. It has been the past couple times we've been there since we've kind of taken off as a program. I think Hugh Freeze is an upgrade as a coach over Brian Harson. I also think he's done a fantastic job of upgrading the talent on the roster in one offseason, really via the transfer portal, but he's got some good, solid players there. So that certainly could be a spot, especially considering that Carson Beck or whoever starts the quarterback is going to be their first true road start in a very hostile environment. We should win that football game, but also wouldn't shock me if that's a game where, you know, it gets a little tight early in the game and we have to kind of find a way to dig deep and pull that one out. But back to the point, the, the reality is, it is a very favorable SEC schedule as far as SEC schedules go. And if you're talking about trying to win a national championship, your path to get there absolutely matters. Only four teams made the college football playoff. And there is still yet to be a team in the history of the college football playoff to make it to the playoff, to get a bid as one of the top four teams with two losses. No team has ever done that. So even if you have a really good team, but you have one of these insanely difficult schedules, you could feasibly lose two games at some point in the regular season or maybe lose the SEC championship game, and now you're out of the playoff. Even though you're probably better than at least two or three of the teams in the playoff, well, the committee just holds it against you if you lose two games. They don't really, I really don't think they take schedule strength into consideration all that much, maybe somewhat to some degree, but it doesn't matter. If your schedule is way more difficult than a team that lost one game or went undefeated while your schedule is way more difficult, you still don't get in. And I do believe that the way our schedule sets up is very conducive to us making it back to the college football playoff once again for the third consecutive year. And once you get there, you got to win two games. You got you got a shot. You got a shot if you can just make it to the final four. And our schedule sets up in a way to really allow us to do that. All right, let's move inside the top five. Coming in at number five, I had trouble figuring out how to word this one. At first, I was just going to say Brock Bowers because when you have an alpha like that, 
that gives you a chance to win every single game. When you have a dude that good, probably, arguably, I would argue, the greatest tight end in the history of college football, that's, that's, a, that's a great piece to have, right? But the more I thought about it, I'm thinking, yeah, Brock is amazing. We all know that. But it's more than just that. Because you look at the receivers, you're like, I, I think you can argue that this is the greatest collection of receiver talent that we've ever had at Georgia. Now, do we have one guy that's A.J. Green? No, I don't think that we have that. But I think as a group in totality, like when have we ever had a more talented group of receivers when you factor in like Dominic Love? And I know Lad McConkie is the unrecruited nobody that just some way somehow continues to make play after play against the most talented teams in the country. I don't care about the measurables. Lad is a talented player. Dude just makes plays. So you got those two guys. I think Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint's going to have a really good year for us. Dylan Bell is a guy that can have a big sophomore year. Not even mentioning a guy like Ra Ra Thomas, who was the leading receiver for another SEC team last year. Arian Smith has all the potential in the world. I mean, potentially the fastest player in all of college football this year. It's just a matter of him staying healthy and putting it all together. And I think he showed signs of being able to do that late last year. Now, can he keep that going? Can he carry that momentum into the new season? I think it's certainly possible. We'll see. It's certainly possible. I mean, that guy has, he's just oozing with, with athleticism and with potential. And you talk about the young guys, you've got three guys I really like coming in this year as true freshmen. Yes, true freshmen. But we're talking about just talent. Yazid Haynes is going to be a big time player for us guys. Just prepare yourself for that. I love Anthony Evans. He gives us another home run threat there. Really, I think he can work the slide, can play outside too, but he's not got quite Arian Smith level speed, but he's really fast in his own right. Tyler Williams is a bigger guy, but can also move good, strong hands. I like him as well. If you look at this group in totality, I think it's the, the most talented group of receivers we've had. So you add in the, that group with Brock Bowers and our tight end room in general, guys like Oscar Delp and Lawson Lucky and Pierce Sperlin, the running backs are certainly not the the same caliber as Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and Todd Gurley. They're not those guys. But let's not forget, Branson Robinson was a five-star guy. He's a five-star running back. It was a big-time get for us. Kendall Milton wasn't a five-star. He was a highly-rated four-star for us out of the state of California. Now, I mean, obviously, health is a concern for him. He's already been banged up with a hamstring again this this early this camp. I hope that's just a minor thing. He's back. I really hope he has a big year for his own sake more than anything. I know he's just had to fight through injury after injury. But then you have another big-time young back in Roger Robinson, Andrew Paul. I think he's a highly talented guy that's come back from the ACL. Dejan Edwards might not be as physically gifted as the other guys, but he's talented in his own right and continues to make plays for us whenever he gets a chance. So if you throw all those groups together, and yes, I'm throwing tight ends in the skill talent, receivers, running backs, tight ends, I truly believe this is the most talented collection of Georgia skill players that we've ever assembled on one Georgia football team. And when you are breaking in a brand new quarterback, that is a absolute luxury to have. And it's going to make that transition to a new quarterback far easier for whoever that quarterback is going to be because you have a lot of talent around you. You don't have to try to force feed plays. You can just get the ball to your playmakers and let them go out and do what they do. Let them make plays. And up next, at number four, I'm going with the best offensive line in college football. Yeah, I said it. I know Michigan has a fantastic offensive line. They've been great the past couple years. I think the Georgia offensive line this year will be the best offensive line in the country. Four starters returning from the college football playoff last year. I know Warren McClendon started a lot of games for us through the regular season, but it was a Marius Mims at right tackle in both the Peach Bowl and the National Championship game. He played extraordinarily well. Now he's on a full offseason as the guy at right tackle. Tate Rattler's coming back. Xavier Trust coming back at guard. You have Cedric Van Pran, as we mentioned earlier, coming back at center for his third year as a starter. The only position where we are breaking 
bringing in a new starter on the offensive line is left tackle. And yes, I would argue that's probably the most important position on the offensive line, but here's the thing. We aren't struggling to find a way to replace a guy like Broderick Jones, who is just a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. We have two fantastic options. It's not about finding an option. We have two great options. It's a matter of deciding between two fantastic options and Ernest Green and Austin Blasky. And why do I have offensive lines so high on my list here inside the top five? Well, guys, think about how our team is built. Our team is built on toughness and physicality. Yes, we threw the ball with great effect last year, more than we've really ever seen a Georgia offense do. But don't get it twisted, guys. The identity of this offense, of this football team, is physicality. We want to take your soul. We want to be able to run the ball down your throat. We want to make you respond with guys in the box, and we want to hit you vertically over the top. You cannot do that unless you have an elite offensive line. And we have recruited at an elite level along the offensive line for years upon years upon years now. And that's why we just keep rolling guys out. You know, you, you lose a Broderick Jones to the NFL draft. Oh, well, you get Ernest Green, who comes in as a highly rated guy from the state of California. And if we are going to be the best version of ourselves, we have got to have that dominant physical offensive line. And you better freaking believe that we have that this year. And also go back to the quarterback position. We are breaking a new quarterback. We can't get around that. That is happening. Whoever it is, that is going to happen. But a quarterback's best friend, outside of having great skill talent, is an offensive line that will protect you. And guys, we gave up a total of nine sacks last year. Top five in the country in sacks allowed. That's less than one per game. Do that math. Less than one per game. And yes, Stetson Bennett's mobility certainly helped in that regard. And Carson is not as mobile as Stetson was. That's very clear. But while Stetson's ability to, to escape the pocket certainly had an effect on our, our ability to limit the number of sacks that we allowed last year, our offensive line deserves more credit for that than anything because they did a fantastic job of protecting Stetson all year long. Again, Four of those starters return, and the guy that we're plugging in at left tackle, I think it's going to be Ernest Green, is a highly rated prep star himself who was, going, who was in the process of earning snaps last year before he went down with a back injury and had to have back surgery. I think you're going to see the best version of Tate Ratledge that we've ever seen, the best version of Cedric Van Pran, the best version of Xavier Trust, the best version of Marius Mims that we have seen to this point. All those guys were really good for us by the end of last year. So that's a scary thought. So offensive line, what I think the best offensive line in the country is going to be a critical factor in us marching to that three-peat. All right, now we are inside the top three. All right, coming in number three. Now, some of you might take issue with this one because you might disagree with my premise, but I've been pretty open, I feel like, over the course of the last year or so, saying that our defense last year was really good. Clearly, it was really good, but it wasn't dominant. We weren't dominant on defense last year, guys. We were very, very good, but we weren't dominant. It, it was not what we saw in 2021. I think that's clear if you watch these games, which, of course, I know that you guys do. And I think if you're being honest, you'd probably agree with me there. It just wasn't the same level of dominance. Still really good, but not dominant. And I think this year, we are set up for a return of dominant defensive play for the Georgia Bulldogs. And here's why. I know we lose some key players. Don't get me wrong. I understand losing Jalen Carter, that's that's a guy that you're going to have a really hard time replacing this season. Those guys are rare. They don't grow on trees. That's going to be difficult. Keely Ringo started two seasons for us at corner. I don't think that's as much of a loss. I think we'll be just fine there. Chris Smith was an insanely valuable player for us, a really underrated player for us in the back end at safety. But moving Javon Bullard there, I think we'll, we'll kind of mitigate that loss. Tyke Smith or Janelle Aguero will see the true freshman. I think they are more than capable of holding down that star position, which will allow us to move Javon to safety. 
Losing Nolan Smith, a guy of that caliber, a leader of that caliber, a guy, just a dude of that caliber, is certainly never something that you want to want to happen. But let's also not forget Nolan didn't play the back half of the year, and we were fine. We still won all those games. I mean, wasn't we weren't as good without him? Clearly, he was a really good player. He was a first round draft pick. But you know, we we know what life without Nolan is with this defense. But here's why I think that we're going to make a return to a more dominant style of defense. I'm not going to say that we're going to be as good as we were in 21 because that defense was an all-time defense. I, I can't see here in good conscience and tell you, yeah, we're going to be that level good. I think we'll be somewhere between what we were in 2021 and last year. So 2021, we were number one or two in basically every major defensive category last year. Top 10 to top 15-ish. We still did a great job of limiting points, keeping teams out of the end zone. We were still top five nationally in scoring defense. We just weren't as good as we were in 2021 but you look at toe defense we were number 10 yards per play 15 which was a big drop from where we were inside the top two in 2021 rush defense we were still dominant there we were number one in the country in rush defense giving up 77 yards per game number three in yards per carry fantastic against the run that was has been the key to our success pass defense is a different story uh 53rd nationally in passing defense uh 24th in yards per attempt 29th in completion percentage, 61st in explosive play rate. That's um, that's not good, explosive pass rate. We have got to be much better than that. That's one of the keys of our defense. One of our goals, our, maybe our primary goal, is to limit explosive plays, and we did not do near a good enough job of that in the past game last year. But I do think a lot of those issues are going to be cleaned up this year for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't want to kill the guy when he's gone. But we, we all understand that Keely Ringo struggled last year, especially late in the season. He, he struggled, man. Like, he had he had some issues. He had problems. I, and I don't know who the guy is going to be to replace him. There's a, a fierce battle going on between Dalen Everett, Julio Humphrey, and Nyland Green. I think right now, Dalen Everett, based on what I'm hearing behind the scenes, Dalen Everett's got the lead right now, but it's, it, we're still very early in fall camp. We have not even had our first scrimmage. But whoever wins that job, I feel more comfortable with them than I do with Keely Ringo. And I know you would probably ask, well, Tyler, why were they not playing last year if they were better than Keely Ringo? That's a tough question to answer. Um, you know, you got to factor in context here. Keeley was a had already started a full year for us, and it's tough for a guy that has NFL aspirations and seen as an NFL prospect for you just to bench him. And I know that kind of goes against what you know Kirby preaches about competition and all the. And I and I get that. That's just a tough thing. Like you have to completely bottom out. I don't know that he bottomed out last year. And maybe those guys they were all young. Dalen Never was a freshman. Julio Humphrey was a freshman. Nylon Green hadn't really had any experience whatsoever. So maybe we just want to kind of ride with Keeley there. But I think that whoever wins that job has a chance to be. I would say at least as good, if not potentially better than Keeley. Keeley had some issues getting in and out of breaks. His hips were very very stiff last year. We all know the issues that he had making plays on balls. That's why he dropped from the first round. Like well, people were anticipating him being a first round type talent because he has that kind of athleticism all the way down to the fourth round. I think Kamari is going to be even better at that other cornerback spot. He really came on the back half of last year and became our best cover guy. And I think he's going to be one of those guys this year. I think he's going to be a, a big time cornerback. For us. I don't want to say shut down. You guys know how I feel about that. I don't really believe in the concept of shut down corners anymore. I don't think you're allowed to be, but I think he's going to be really close to it. I think he's going to be a really great player for us on the outside there. But here's the other part to this. We've talked about this over the past couple of months. It's not just the cover guys. You can only hold up in coverage for so long against elite receivers and elite quarterbacks. 
At some point, we've got to be able to get after the quarterback and make their lives more uncomfortable in the pocket on a more consistent basis. We've had a lot of trouble doing that with a natural pass rush. I think we have an opportunity this year, and I think that we will. I expect that we will be far more effective in rushing the passer with a natural pass rush without having to dial up pressure and, and bring stunts from all different angles. I think that we have the guys, they're young and experienced, but I think that we have the talent to give us more of an effective pass rush this year to make life easier for our guys in the back end. I think that Michael Williams is going to explode this year. He led the team in sacks last year. I think he's ready to be that kind of guy where he's going to be an alpha pass rusher for us. And then the jack position, Chaz Chambliss is back. And Chaz is going to play a lot because talk about leadership. That guy is another guy that has like a Nick Chubb level work ethic. Now, is he as talented? Like, no, he's not. He's not, he's not as talented as Brock Bowers. But that guy comes to work every single day, a lot like Brock Bowers does. He's going to play a lot for us. He's a valuable player. I thought he got better as last year went on. Is he a dynamic pass rusher? No. Is he ever going to be? No, probably not. But he's still very solid. But the guys that we're going to use in those situations and those roles more often, guys like Marvin Jones Jr., who was a big-time five-star getting the tw- late in the 2022 class, he was banged up for large portions of last year. Had an off-season labrum s- surgery, missed the spring, but he's back going full-time, and the early returns I'm getting come out of fall camp is this guy looks legit. The upside, the athleticism, it's off the charts. It's tremendous. And you add the trio of big-time edge rushers that we got in this year's class. They're all true freshmen, but they are extraordinarily gifted. Guys like five-star Damon Wilson, Samuel M. Pimba from IMG, Gabriel Harris from IMG. Those guys can get after the passer. You throw in, in, throw in Darius Smith as well. That guy is a very unique talent. It's a very unique skill set that I think we can make great use of as well. I also think that we have some linebackers that can give us more in the pass rush as well. Think back to like 2021. Think about how effectively used our linebackers rushing the passer that year. I mean, they were our premier pass rushers. No Kobe Dean, Quay Walker, Chain Tindall, outstanding. I don't think that Pop and Smile were as good last year rushing the passer as their first year of starters. I expect them to take a step forward in that role this year, but Jalen Walker's a guy to watch, man. Like We're going to get Jalen Walker on the field. He's not going to start an inside linebacker. That dude's going to play a lot, especially in third down situations, and he is a natural pass rusher. His body's an inside linebacker. That's why he's not playing full-time on the edge at Jack, but he just has those natural pass rushing skills. And that's why he was getting on the field late last year and made an impact in that role. And he is going to be a major part, the very least, of our third down package. He might work himself into the into the rotation, in the, into the two deep inside linebackers. You know we rotate that position a lot. I think a guy like Raylan Wilson has extraordinary athleticism as a true freshman. And he is a guy that can certainly fill that role as well. I'm excited about Xavier Sori. He's also a guy, he's, he's going to start inside linebacker for us. The smile doesn't open the season if he's still injured, which remains to be seen. He's kind of somewhat getting back, but Xavier Sori very well could start the season. Now, UT Martin, you know, who cares, whatever, right? But he's going to play a lot for us this year, and let's go back to high school. Xavier Sori played a lot of edge in high school. He was kind of that tweener. The question was, he can play inside, he can play outside. He has a lot of pass rushing skills himself. If you get him on the field more, which I think that we're going to, he's going to give us a little something extra from a pass rush standpoint, which is all going to go to help the, the back end, which is really what the, what the problem was last year. I have no question that we're going to be dominant against the run because we are dominant against the run every single year. Yeah, I knew we, I know we lose Jalen Carter, but not Stackhouse is back. That dude is so underrated for us last year. There's a reason that, that he is a first team preseason All-SEC guy. That dude's not Jordan Davis, but he was awesome for us last year. I think guys like Zion Logue and Warren Brinson are ready to take big steps for us on the interior this year. I think guys like Christian Miller, Jordan Hall as, tr- as a true freshman, Jamal Jarrett potentially as a true freshman. Those guys are going to play for us. I think Jordan Hall is going to be a monster for us on the defensive line. You can never count on true freshmen, 
especially in the trenches, but this dude is already a grown man. Like, he is already built to play in the SEC in the trenches. Like, I, I don't really have questions about that. My question with Jordan Hall is technique-wise right now. Like, is he ready from a technique standpoint, a knowledge standpoint, to be that guy? And I, I think that we're going to find a way to use him. I think he's going to be effective for us this year. So no no Jalen Carter, but we have a lot of different body types and guys that we can use situationally to still remain dominant against the run. When you have a guy like Nas Stackhouse in the middle, that certainly helps things. So yeah, I do believe that we are going to get back closer to being that dominant Georgia defense. And no, we weren't bad last year. That's not what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. Don't don't hit me up and, and, and rip me for saying the Georgia defense was bad last year. That's not what I'm saying. We were awesome. That was a big part of why we won another national championship. But you also be honest with yourself. We weren't as good as we were in 2021. Like That's just reality. It's what it is. And I'm not saying we will be this year, but I think we're going to take a step closer to that this year than we were last year. So even if we take maybe a slight step back offensively, which I don't know if that's a guarantee. I'm not sure I'm ready to say that. But even if we do, I think our defense takes a step forward. All right, let's move on to number two on my list of the top 10 reasons why Georgia is going to three-peat in 2023. It's all about the death, baby. I think this is another major factor that separates us from the other elite teams in the country. Because the fact is, we just have more quality depth just about at every position than any other team in the country. And that includes Alabama. And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, obviously, it's recruiting. you got to recruit the players. But there are other teams that recruit at a really high level, maybe even at a higher level than us. Alabama has been recruiting at a slightly higher level than us each of the past two years. We're going to change that this year. But they have arguably a more talented overall roster than we do according to all those various recruiting rankings. But recruiting matters, and we recruited big-time players. The other part of this, though, is development. And I think that we are, quite simply, developing players at a higher rate than just about, if not more, than any other team in the country. I I, I truly believe that. And I think it's, it's laughable, it's comical, it's absurd, it's ridiculous. When you hear all these other people talk about, yo, Curry sponsors recruit, he can't develop talent. Get out of here with that. When you say that, you lose all my respect. I'm very respectful and open to other opinions. When you start talking complete and utter nonsense like that, I, I can't listen to you. I, I, I just, I can't. I'm sorry. Because you're clueless, you have no idea what you're talking about, and you just don't deserve respect. At least that opinion, I should say, does not deserve respect. Every person deserves respect. That opinion does not deserve anyone's respect. Because it's complete and utter nonsense. And completely untethered from reality. A big part of why we're able to do that is our practice structure and the way that we're able to get everybody like starter reps. Whether you're a two or three, whether you're a scout team guy, you're all getting starters reps because of the way that Kirby two spots and the way that we structure our practice, there's nonstop action. Like guys aren't standing around. That does not happen. This is not your old traditional high school practice where you're running inside drill, you're running, you're running skelly or you're running team and everybody who's not participating is kind of sitting off on the bench on the side there, taking a knee, just watching what's going on, waiting for the name to be called or just waiting for practice to be over, sucking on the water. That ain't what happening, guys everybody's doing something. Everybody's moving. And we are just quite simply getting guys reps at an unprecedented rate. And on top of that, we just have great coaches. That's what it comes down to. We have great coaches. We have great expectations. Talk about our culture. That kind of factors into this. Guys are, are ready. They come to practice ready to play. They come to practice ready to be physical. They do the same thing in the, in the meeting rooms. So we have these highly talented players and we're developing them at a higher rate than really anyone else in the country. And what that allows us to do is create this unmatched depth. And that absolutely matters when you're trying to win a national championship. There are there are some teams out there, I think, you could say are potentially comparable to our starting 22. Like if you match Alabama starting 22 against Georgia starting 22, it, it's pretty damn close, right? 
You match Ohio State starting 22 to Georgia starting 22. Pretty close. But what's different right now is our depth. Ohio State loses Marvin Jones Jr., which they've been crying about all offseason long, as you all well know, and they have no answers. And I know he was important to their offense, but Darnell Washington was also extraordinarily important to our offense too in a different way, but he was one of the keys to our entire offense in the role that he played. That dude went out early in the first half. Did we cry about it? No. Oscar Delp came in, played his tail off, and we still found a way to win the football game because we got more depth. When Darnell Washington goes down, as, as invaluable as he was to our team, we still have a guy Oscar Delp can come in and fill that role. Not the same way that Darnell did, but well enough for us to still go out there and win a football game. We had our starting right tackle go down in the SEC Championship game. Didn't play in the college playoff at all. Really didn't. It's Amarius Mims. What happens? Nothing. We don't, we don't skip a beat. Why? Because Amarius Mims is probably more talented than the starter. And he was ready to play when his name was called. Lad McConkey was battling knee tendinitis all, all season long. He tweaks it in the SEC Championship game. Was doubtful to play at points leading into the Peach Bowl. Gives it a shot, gives it a go, was clearly a shell of his normal self, but we had enough guys like Arian Smith step in there and make plays. We win football games. This is a contact sport, guys. This is a physical, brutal game. Injuries are going to happen. No one will make it through the season. No team is going to make it through the season unscathed without some of their key players going down. And so the teams that are going to actually win national championships are, number one, the teams with the talent, which we've got, and the teams that can withstand the attrition with the depth that they have. And we can do that better than anyone else. I mean, I'm really at the point, guys, that with very few exceptions, if one of our players goes down, I used to freak out, man. Anytime we, you know, I'd get word that somebody's injured, might not play, if it was a big-time player, I'd just lose my mind. I remember when Todd Gurley, I remember this, man. So was it 2014? I was on the way to Missouri, on the way to Como, driving, it was pouring rain that night. So it was a Thursday night. One of my buddies texts me. He's like, did you see the news? And I'm like, oh God, what? What news? He's like, Gurley's out. I'm like, what? What happened? I'm freaking out, man. I'm freaking out the entire ride. I get there to Como on Friday and I'm kind of just like in the stages of death. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to lose to Missouri. I made this trip all the way here. Great town. Love it, but can't really enjoy it because we're about to lose this game. No Todd Gurley. But what happens? Nick Chubb announces to the world who he is. That was a long time ago. But now I've gotten to the point where if guys go down, I don't have that reaction. I'm kind of like, mm, man, that sucks. But you know what? We're okay. We got a lot of talent. Now, there are certain players. I'm not going to name them because I don't want to like put a curse on anybody. I want to jinx anybody. I'm not going to wood right now. There are certain players that I, I would probably freak out a little bit because they are just that good. You can probably figure out who I'm talking about. So I don't even want to go there. I don't want to think about that. But really, for a couple years now, it's like, yeah, I mean, that sucks. They're really good, but... We're also okay because we've got all these guys. And that matters, man. That helps you win national championships. All right. We have reached the end of our list. The final reason why Georgia is going to three-peat in 2023, quite simply, the man himself, Kirby Paul Smart. As far as I'm concerned, the man should already have a statue erected in every part of campus. I'm ready to add his name to the stadium. This man has made all of my wildest dreams come true. And as long as he is here at the University of Georgia, which I hope is for a long, long, long time, I'm going to feel like we have a legitimate chance to win a national championship each and every season. Now, are we going to win one each and every season? Probably not, right? Like, we understand that. But I feel like we're going to have a shot. And really, all of the reasons that have come before this one, can't they all in some way be credited to Kirby Smart? 
right? Like he has to be number one on the list. The culture, the championship pedigree, leadership that he cultivates, the schedule, you know, that, that's not really his thing. The, the lack of an obvious Georgia killer, he has nothing necessarily to do with that other than that he's taken talent from some of these teams. But the collection of overall skill talent, he recruited those guys. The offensive line, he recruited those guys. The defense, he recruited those guys. And he's a defensive mastermind himself. It's his defense. Let's make no mistake about it. He might not be calling every play, but it's, it's the Kirby Smart defense. The depth, that's all Kirby Smart. From a recruiting standpoint, from a developmental standpoint, from a practice structure standpoint, that's all Kirby Smart. The man is a madman. That's what he is. He is relentless. He is obsessed. And that's what you have to be. To be great at something, you have to have almost a single-minded devotion to it. You have to sacrifice for it. You have to be obsessed with it. It has to be almost everything to you. And that's what it is to Kirby Smart. The man doesn't know how to stop. He will leave no stone unturned. He will outwork everyone. He will demand that all of his coaches outwork everyone. He will demand that his players outwork everyone. He will let no one get comfortable. He is a motivational, psychological mastermind. He's personable, knows people, knows how to get along with people, knows how to get the best out of people. And as long as he is breathing and holds the title of Georgia head football coach, there will be no letting off of the gas. There will be no complacency because he will not allow it. He is unquestionably the best coach in America. And yes, I include Nick Saban. Nick Saban is the greatest coach to ever coach. But right now, is Nick Saban a better coach than Kirby Smart? Absolutely, unequivocally, no. There is literally no other coach on planet Earth that I would rather have coaching University of Georgia than Kirby Smart. And again, I truly mean this. As long as he is the head football coach at the University of Georgia, we will always be in the national title hunt. And 2023 will be no different. But that's all I got for you guys. That is my list of the top 10 reasons why Georgia will three-peat in 2023. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Let me know what you think. Let me know what I got wrong because I know a lot of you probably thinking, how did this guy possibly leave this off or that off? I know, I get it. I'm sure I missed something, but hey, this is what I got for you. And so let me know what I got wrong, what I left off. Let me know what you agree with. But I'm excited, man. Uh, There's nothing I love more than talking about Georgia football. And when you're talking about Georgia football, what is there better to talk about than why we're going to win another national championship? I mean, we are rarefied air, guys. These truly are the glory days, and there's no better way to end a working week than talking about why we're going to win a third straight national title. So thank you guys for being here. I always appreciate it. You know that. I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. Guys, the weeks are, are counting down. We're, we're getting very, very close. Before you know it, college football season is going to be here. And we've got a ton of great content the next couple of weeks leading up to that. You don't want to miss any of the action. We've got a lot of great stuff for you. Curse will eventually be back from his honeymoon. I know I keep saying it. Maybe one day Charlie will magically show up and we'll have her back. But we have so much great content for you guys here on the podcast, on the YouTube channel, on social media, at Glory underscore UGA, Glory UGA podcast on Instagram. So much great stuff for you guys. So keep on coming back. Have an awesome weekend. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.